Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Partner Running Show. A show for runners and soon-to-be runners from around the world as we talk all things running. The Partner Running Show is hosted by a couple on the run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien, and proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and the Partner Runner Magazine. And now, on with the show. Well, welcome to the Partner Running Show on this uh, 6th or 5th of January 2015, uh, no matter where you are in the world. And uh, we should start the show, Sue, by saying a Happy New Year to everybody. We should, indeed. So, Happy New Year to everyone, wherever you are in the world. And I'm sure a lot of New Year's resolutions have been set. I should have said, uh, I'm Andrew O'Brien, and I'm here with uh, <laughs> yes. Sue O'Brien. Who are we? Um, we know who we are, but uh, people tuning in for the first time may not. So, welcome, folks, and uh as Sue said, all the best for a wonderful 2015. Mm. We had a very exciting uh, way of bringing in the new year as we ran a um, back-to-back marathons as part of the uh, Rock Around the Clock uh, event at uh, the Yu Yangs just outside of Melbourne in Australia. And it's a fascinating location because um, you get great views of the city of Melbourne skyline as well as uh, Geelong. And both both towns had fireworks and celebrations whilst we were running around this mountain so we got to, to view all that and of course there was a whole bunch of events we chose to do the six o'clock marathon on new year's eve which was our last marathon for the year and then followed that up with a midnight start for our first marathon of 2015 so by six or six in the morning we had our first marathon for the year done and uh two completed and it was it was it was a trail event i have to say uh almost three thousand meters of up and down over our evenings running wasn't the easiest but it was certainly up there with the most enjoyable indeed and look uh, you know if you've never tried running at night this is a a fun way of doing it as well with, uh, with as we mentioned those fabulous views and a little bit of distraction diversion as you go along as well so uh, lots of fun out there with uh, supporters cheering us on as we came through laps it was a multi-lap course which added to the entertainment value I suppose for both spectators is giving them something to, to watch and cheer on but also for runners as well as they came through the checkpoint to get the encouragement and uh, there were quite a few people enjoying a few beverages as as we came through cheering us on as they were celebrating the new year from a spectator point of view yeah i think that the um the interesting thing with this new year's run uh and and i think it applies to you know a lot of business and that sort of thing is it's easy to focus on the the downside of the who's not interested um and and then you can lose sight of the fact that actually you don't have to worry about the people that aren't interested what you have to do is establish the niche that you're targeting and is that enough to support your business activity or the event you're going to put on and whilst when it comes to new year's eve uh, a lot of people like to go out and party uh a lot of people go away or a lot of people spend time with family and friends. They do those things. But then there are a lot of other people who don't do the party thing anymore or you know, they, it's kind of a quiet night for them. It's, they might sit home and watch fireworks and celebrations, but it's it's kind of nice, but it's not... They don't have other things on. And so when it's... And they're not interested in going out and you know, drinking lots of champagne and celebrating or in that sense. 
So when someone comes along and says, well, here's a running event, it's going, well, that's perfect for them. So for all the people that are not interested, that's that's wonderful for them, lots of time for them to do things. But there are obviously enough people around who, you know, that would be perfect. That's the sort of thing I would really like to do uh, at New Year. And as you know, so we've seen, it, I suppose, in the US for many years with some of the big special events that they have to, to sort of celebrate the transition from one year to the next. I think this one in Australia will go from strength to strength and become increasingly popular. And you mentioned, well, we did the back-to-back marathons, but there was a 10K available. There was a half marathon as well. You didn't need to commit yourself for four to five hours of running out there. You could go out and have a social run and then enjoy the rest of the social evening with your friends. It yep. was the participation factor rather than necessarily a huge factor setting yourself to. And I think for a lot of people, um, it was the opportunity to, to go and run the 10K or the half marathon early in the evening and then go you know, oh, out. Yeah. Some, somewhere mm-hmm. else for the actual uh, the midnight hour. But I think what, what seemed to be the norm was that most people got their marathon or their half marathon or their 10K over and then just stayed to see the fireworks and celebrate the new year and then headed home you know, soon after after that. And mm. Of course, then there were the others who were like ourselves and those doing the six-hour enduro that, that ran through the night and were there to see the sun come up. And yeah, and a really great job by Brett Saxon and the Trails Plus Jobs, uh, people setting up an atmosphere within that location of that transition that was sort of a social party atmosphere with, you know, some nibbles, some drinks, and people brought their chairs and set it up, and it really was just a, a nice little outdoor party almost. Yes, they uh, supplemented that with uh, quite a nice run-around-the-clock run, run shirt, um, very nice buff. Uh, head scarf, if head you're not scarf, sure what yes. that is. <laughs> Which, you know, um, I think for a lot of us, it's kind of not really something that we're that interested in. However, once we start doing the trail, running it, and you have to use the night light, you start to realise that the um, a cap can get in the way of the light and cause some difficulties. That's not ideal. Just putting the uh, light just on your head can, again, cause some problems with skin and, and fit and stuff. So the the buff can be particularly handy for you know night running to help put the, the light on your head uh, and also... Can, you know, it can get quite cold at night. It sort of, you know, that replaces the what the job that the cap does. So, mm, so, the, so the buff is, is a kind well. of a, a most appreciated treat. And of course, we should mention, last but not least, here on this one, the the bling. The bling, indeed, quite an unusual style of bling. I can, I can say, I've not seen this in any other race. Like we often do see people posting photos of their medals or their post-race reward or whatever it is for the completion of the event, but I've not seen this. And what was it? It was a small sparkling bottle of uh, white beverage in oh, attached to a ribbon around your neck. So as you finished, it was uh, almost like a, a toast to toast in the new year. And uh, they're lucky enough to be sponsored by a wine company for some of their events and this was just something quite unique and of course if you did the double marathon you got uh, one with a blue ribbon one with a green ribbon to designate one as being the uh, PM and one as being the AM marathons so quite an unusual bling to have around your neck yeah so um, I suppose 
it was a great it was a great event. Anyway, that's we've sort of done that yep. bit of a, a mm-hmm. that, that I think tough ticked that off as uh, yes, ticked that off as our review of the New Year's Eve running and, mm-hmm. and well done to everybody else who ran an event over the New Year's period or the only downside for me of running this event was we missed out on our traditional New Year's morning run where we always just go out for a long run. But I suppose we kind of we did it of sorts in a different different location. So yep. that was uh, that was what was a wonderful thing to do. Now our focus today, uh, following on the New Year's theme, is we're going to look at ten popular running resolutions. It is that time of the year where people make their New Year's resolutions, start afresh. Um, Often these are you know, broader kind of things. I'm going to change jobs. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get fit. I'm going to go on a trip. Uh, but runners aren't immune from incorporating re- running resolutions into their things. So it can be you know, things from I'm going to set a PB to I'm going to do a new event or um, I'm going to run. I'm going to take running, take up running or run more to lose weight. Uh, there's a bunch of them that are quite quite common. Uh, some that are a little bit more. Less common, but we've got we're going to find ten, and we're going to go through and have a look at each one in terms of why you would adopt it, what some of the challenges, and a couple of couple of tips in making it happen. So that that will be our our feature segment. On that note, uh, I think we should move right along. Over the shoulder, a quick review of last weekend's running. I don't know whether it is the time of the year, and maybe it is that it's sort of coming to the end of one year and the start of the next. A lot of the news stories over this period have focused on older runners, and I've got three little tidbits that were on the newswire about older runners. And the first one is about an 87-year-old female runner who set the, the world record for the fastest marathon time in Honolulu, actually. So towards the end of last year, in a time of 5 hours and 36, which is pretty slick, and a lot of younger runners would be very happy with that time in Honolulu. And a little bit of uh, sage wisdom from this, this runner. She's run 30 marathons over her career. She started running 30 years ago, so that means about 57 when she started running marathons. She said she always runs very safely and wisely to finish with energy at the end. So that's her aim, to to finish with that energy at the end. And she often wonders if, because she's not hurting enough, whether she should have pushed a little bit harder. But uh, some insights into her training. She runs three times a week. Her long run on the weekend of about two hours, which does ramp up a little bit as she prepares for a marathon. But through other days of the week, she goes to the gym, she cycles, does indoor cycling, and she does yoga. And I thought that sounded a bit uh, similar to myself. So I would be thinking, well, you know, how many years is that? Of another 30 plus down the road, will I still be able to do that at age 87? But a truly wonderful accomplishment. And uh, obviously her her grandchildren are a little bit concerned, but uh, they say, look, she just finishes so well, what can they say? Uh, Another older runner that often features in the news is... uh, the seemingly unstoppable Larry Mason, who celebrated his 70th birthday over the New Year period and completed uh, 170 marathons for uh, 75 marathons for the year on his birthday. That brings his 
total for his life to 1,410 marathons that he has completed. So what better way of, um, I suppose, celebrating his year uh, by running a marathon on your birthday. So another older runner. But this one was quite interesting as well. Quite a few husband and wife and older stories. This couple, they're both 81. And their target has been to walk a half marathon in every state of the US. They used to run or they took up running in their 40s. And uh, sadly, their last marathon was uh, in 2003, age 70, running. And their knee injury prevented the wife member of the, the, the partnership to from running again. So they decided that they would walk. They've only got five states to go and they've got a few penciled in for early in the year to try and sort of bring themselves up to having covered every every state. But I just thought that was a really nice little uh, target to have and just proving that it doesn't matter what age you are, to keep going and to be able to set yourself some personal goals is a truly wonderful accomplishment. And as their grandchildren have pointed out as well and children, that they are so much more active and healthy, their general well-being so much higher than other members of the community of their age. And they've just managed to, to keep going, enjoying both the countryside, the experience, the interaction with people. And uh, just so despite injury, they've been able to continue. And I thought that was great. Um, now, another interesting, uh, I suppose, outlook for 2015 that big article in uh, The Guardian in the UK, the way that longer races are becoming more and more popular. And by longer races, meaning anything from about 50 miles to 100 miles, that concept of running longer and the challenge that it offers is becoming much more important to individuals and runners than going faster. So time is becoming less irrelevant. The challenge, both physical and mental, of going longer is becoming more of a target for 2015. Now, one of the aspects of this uh, noted is that the gap between male and female runners seems to diminish over those greater distances. So the times get closer. Now, the hypothesis is that um, females pace themselves better in longer races and this is one of the concepts that is open to dispute but that there are still more men than women running in these ultra events but on average uh, females seem to pace themselves better and huge races uh, this is a UK article the Lakeland 50 and 100 mile event sold out in 10 minutes 750 spots gone and race organisers are, are just uh, overwhelmed with the popularity and this is causing a spark of more 50 and 100 mile events growing in, in the UK in particular because they are in Europe, these longer events, but and that causes UK travellers to have to travel across to Europe to participate in events. So keep an eye open for more longer events coming on. Now, reported also that the Boulder Marathon had run into a lot of legal dispute and that the race director was being sued for uh, $200,000 US to try and recompense and um, restitute for the runners that had entered. Now, somebody else has taken over that event. It's been bought by Flatirons and they are 
they have all their paperwork filed and they're going to open the race again on its designated date. So participants that missed out in 2013-2014 cancellations get free entry and they are hoping to really reconstitute this, what used to be called the Boulders Back Roads Marathon. So good to see that an event has been rebought and ready to get going. Um, on the elite level, the Jia Men Marathon was on last weekend and Debiba of Ethiopia female set a new race record in 2 hours 21 and Kenya's Mossop also set a new race record in 2.06 and this is the strongest field in the 13 year history of the event it is growing and growing and growing um, one other New Year's resolution story the Chester Marathon which is one of the biggest in the UK or the half marathon in May is the, one of the biggest half marathons in the country had a huge spike in entries around the Christmas New Year period and race directors hypothesise that this is because people gave themselves and others and set New Year's resolutions to enter and participate this event. They promoted heavily in the local newspapers as give the gift of running to someone you love this year. And uh, seems to have worked well. So a huge spike of entries as people now have entered and set themselves that New Year's target. The other one I was mentioning, I suppose, is and it, it raises one of my perennial hobby horses, and that is at the uh, a bit closer to home, the Portsea Classic. I think it's uh, down at Portsea. Oh, the Portsea Twilight. Twilight, yep. yeah, uh, because it was a horrific, hot, windy, fire danger weather uh, that was called off um, just for, for safety reasons, and you know, once again. I, I get disturbed when I see somebody you know saying, "Oh, you know, everybody should get their get their oh, money, money back." back. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's. I mean, I understand the sentiment, and I paid to enter a race, and the race didn't happen. Therefore, you know, I get my money back. But it's it's just it shows a bit of a lack of I think understanding of what's involved in putting on these events. And so, from a legal perspective, you know, you you check the box. It says, you know. We reserve the right to, if it's not safe, to cancel, and that mm. in the event that we have to cancel, you don't get your money back. So they're very clear up front about the expectation is that if one of these emergency things happens and it has to be called off, then you're not entitled to a refund. So I think let's put that aside from a, a legal perspective. But from a, and, and I don't have any problem with that aspect of it, but, but what always gets pushes my buttons, as the saying goes, I suppose, is is the understanding of the situation. If we're, just, if we're saying to race directors, if there's a, you know, electric storm, fire, severe weather conditions, if you have to, if you cancel, you have to give everyone all 100% of their money back, then who's going to be a race director? They've had, you know, months of costs, They've had to hire the facilities. They've had to. They've, they've spent a heck of a lot of money. And if you cancel at the last minute, the savings to the race director is is probably zilch, and in many cases might actually be yeah, might even have more costs. So they're financially going to be potentially worse off with a last minute cancellation than not. So you know, I think it's from a runner's point of view, it's disappointing. But you take your chances, and you and it's like, well, you're. Part of the the deal of being in the running community is that every now and then, when it's not safe, they do need to to call it off. Yeah, and this is very different to that Boulder one that you talk about, where somebody just badly organises it, botches it, 
and it's completely their fault. Well, I don't have any sympathy for those race directors. They should shouldn't be in the game, and and they people should get their money back. But where it's a uh, you know fire, horrific wind, earthquakes, all these natural disasters type things beyond the realms of the race director, then it's just I, I think we need to understand as all you know we're all part of the community, and that means that when that comes to play, we're not going to get our money back and in this case they've done the right thing they've given everybody free entry into another event and you've got a choice at selection it could be the same event next year and I think there's three others yeah. so it's, it's hardly a case of them going oh you beauty we've got your money and we're going to leave town they've they've I think come up with a, a more than fair and reasonable yeah thing. and I think that that is something that runners particularly in uh, we'll say in Australia at this time of year in hot summer we are subject to bushfires if we're participating in country areas in particular or once we're getting out of the metropolitan area and as well as the heat restrictions that obviously could come into play in urban races, once we do start getting out of the metropolitan area, we've got to be aware all the time that these communities are under risk, that things can happen and as you mentioned, race directors try and do their best by offering alternate races or in the case of Two Bays Trail Run which is on this weekend they've got an alternate date which is a week's time so we, we should have that in the back of our minds that we're taking well, not a risk but that there is always the possibility that this sort of thing can happen in particularly Australian summer conditions and probably in the US or Europe in winter conditions that they could get completely inclement weather where it is unsafe Yes, I mean the 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 fire in Australia, the the snow in uh, the US, are the two um, occasionally get flood, but but extreme snow, cold or um or extreme heat and fire in in some places are the, are the two most popular reasons, and it doesn't happen that often, but it does you know, every year. There's a couple of events that get hit by that, and you know again this this sort of bravado of all oh, the show should go on and I've paid my mm. money, whatever else. Um, step back, think about it. What if you're the person who gets burnt? What if you're the person who gets you know, injured? Or what, if, what if you're the yeah. person or the family and all that who dies because it, it went ahead when it wasn't safe? You know, There's a lot of <laughs> after-the-game experts will be quick to tell you you've done the wrong thing if you if it if it does go wrong. So anyway, it always it always uh, sets me off when I saw saw someone bleating about they should get their money back and mm. yada yada. Well, you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a um it wasn't a faulty pair of jeans that it was manufactured poorly that we talk about here is is a, a uh, an event of people and a whole social structure in place here and we need to be I think practical and, and realistic. Alright, enough of that. <laughs> Ask Sue. Do you have a question you'd like answered? Why not send us a message, a tweet, or post your question on the Partner Running Facebook page? Take it away, Sue. This Ask Sue today is particularly pertinent to our friends in the Northern Hemisphere that are in the middle of winter running, but also has some relevance for us dwellers in the Southern Hemisphere that are running through the evening when temperatures drop 
and become cooler. But also those of us that are contemplating a trip, a running journey into the Northern Hemisphere or into countries where conditions are going to get colder over the next month or so. And the question relates to gloves. Now, this is a, a question, what are the best gloves for me to wear running? That is particularly close to my heart because I suffer from very cold hands, very poor circulation in my hands, and it doesn't take much for me to get numb fingers, freezing cold hands, lose circulation, and actually be unable to feel and have sensation in my fingertips, which means when it's time to open zippers, get out uh, gels or goos or food or have to do small little manual tasks with my hands, even whether it's pressing GPS watches, I really struggle. So it doesn't take much for me to need gloves. And the question was, well, which are the best gloves? What are the best gloves to get for your running? Well, a couple of different issues come into play. And I think the first one to deal with is what size gloves should I get or how should my gloves fit me? This needs to be determined by the size of your hand, obviously, but glove manufacturers recommend that you measure the circumference of your knuckles around your hand on your dominant hand. So if you're a left-hander, you'd measure your left hand and that will give you a size or a number in terms of centimetres or inches. And this then starts to relate to the glove size setting that manufacturers set. So particularly if you're ordering online and you're trying to work out, well, I've got a small hand, do I need a small glove? Ideally, glove manufacturers recommend you get a slightly bigger size than your hand circumference. So if you are really on the edge of one size, then go slightly bigger rather than getting a tight-fitting glove. And that's where we come into play again. A tight-fitting glove is not going to be the warmest. We want to get a, a layer of air, of warm air, around your hand between the glove and your actual flesh. Some people love mittens because they do get to move their hands and uh, keep the circulation going. Problem with that is it's not particularly dexterous with the mitten. So it is warmer or it can have benefits, but not particularly dexterous and useful if you need to uh, make any small adjustments with watches, getting food, all sorts of things like that with your hands. So let's go on to the type of gloves. Now there are a few different types of gloves that are most common. And one of them is polypropylene and this is the one that's often recommended by race directors as to have a pair of polypropylene gloves in your race kit. Now one of those reasons is that they're very light, they're quite thin but they are also quite warm. They've got a plastic component in them uh, which also makes them slightly waterproof but allows them to breathe as well which is what we don't want to get condensation from sweat inside the glove that it's almost like an impermeable layer you do want to have a little bit of water transfer between outside and inside of your glove um, so polypropylene often recommended also as an inner lining for external gloves so you'll quite often see polypropylene gloves uh, fairly close fitting ones worn inside ski mittens or work gloves um, or hunting gloves or other types of external gloves but they are quite good within themselves in that they do provide warmth, a bit of breathability 
um, not super heavy either to carry. So they're often uh, the first choice of runners that particularly don't feel the cold too much. Now the next type of glove that's often chosen by runners are wool gloves, or in my case, possum fur gloves. Now one of the advantages of this is that uh, the fibres of say the possum glove are very light, they're quite hollow, they retain a lot of warmth, so you'll actually find that they are a really warm glove to wear. Uh, one of the disadvantages of this is getting wet, they do take quite a long time to dry, but They've also got us almost like a waterproof layer to them, so they won't feel very heavy and wet for a long time. It'll take really drenching rain for you to actually feel uh, that these are soaked and wet. But that is one of the disadvantages. When, once they do get that wet layer soaked through, that uh, they do take a long time to dry. And yeah, if you're really running in wet conditions, probably the possum one's not so good. But for just cold conditions, uh, I really like the possum gloves and they do allow quite a bit of dexterity and contact with the fingers. But one of the problems with those gloves are that if you are a touch phone person or you like to be able to use your your electronic devices they're not so good and this is one of the features that's coming into gloves more and more is to have a fingertip and thumb made out of special fabrics or grips that allow you to make contact with your mobile devices without taking off your gloves to press and access data if you've got a touch screen one of the factors that's coming out with gloves along with leather pads and grips that allow you to uh, have much more control over your glove particularly if you're using poles for trekking or if you just want to have that ability to grip onto presumably rocks or whatever you want to use to climb that sort of thing another little uh, feature coming into gloves are a pocket to slide in heat pads for people that are really running in arctic conditions and quite a few friends have recommended these tiny little heat pads to go into your gloves to warm your hands but look it doesn't take much to uh, think about uh, a good glove that's going to suit you top of the range gloves seal skins was one of the brands that's really recommended working on three layers that that waterproof layer on the inside um, that does allow breathability then getting into the, the permeable layer the waterproof layer and a nylon skin over the outside uh, steel skins Gordini also recommended as a brand of glove to try but look some people just say get a wetsuit glove get any sort of glove it's going to act as some sort of windproof mechanism but just those tips to bear in mind get the glove the right size to suit you not too tight Bear in mind what you want to be able to use it for. Do you want to be able to be quite dexterous getting in and out of uh, a pack or zippers carrying gels? Do you want to be able to touch screen? So checking that you've got finger pad and thumb pad ability to touch the screen and be able to make contact with it without taking off your gloves. And if you are one of those people with poor circulation, even in summer, if you're running in the evening, if you're running overnight, uh, if there's a cold wind blowing, sometimes it doesn't take much to require a glove and in which case those polypropylene gloves are going to be the best option for you. Very light, very easy to carry and again quite dexterous to wear. So it doesn't take much but 
It's a couple of things to think about even in summer or running with gloves. That was the Ask Sue segment of the Partner Running Show. If you have a question for Sue, please post it on the Partner Running Facebook page or email us at radio at partnerrunning.com. Last week on the show, um, I did what I suppose was the first uh, of a series of segments on my journey or our journey or transition to using the GPS watch whilst we're for our running. Um, if you missed last week's show, after I suppose a few years of checking it out and using the traditional methods, we've decided to make the make the move to the GPS watch with me using the. Uh, Sunto Ambit 3, and Sue's still trying, but looking like going to the Garmin uh, 920XT. So we're sort of going to compare the two races and, and what uh, two watches and what they can do for us in our events. Um, our criteria amongst the normal ones is, is sort of, I suppose, that a little bit more focused on the need for battery life to get us through uh, the ultra running. And whilst most of those races are probably less than 15 hours there is the potential there for something that goes for 20 or two or three days and so being able to charge on the run and those kinds of things are kind of important so that's kind of the background um so this week i was going to talk about a couple of things first of all the new year's eve uh, events was our first time of using and recording during a, a race so we did two different approaches i used the uh, Sunto Ambit 3 as one event despite the fact we ran two marathons and what I did was um, started it at the beginning of the first, used it throughout and then went into pause mode we had about an hour's break between events and then started up again so I got you know, I think with the, the trail and all that sort of thing I got my 2,700 metres of, of elevation gain total run time of 10.5 hours broken down between two events and all that all that sort of stuff so that was um that worked particularly well it was during that trail event through the night i noticed that my head torch was more than adequate to read the watch so i didn't need to be using battery up like that sort of thing and the things which i really focused on the most was the time we've been running and the distance we've been running to help keep track of laps because of the terrain the event it was the the pace per kilometre wasn't as important as it as it would be in, say, a, a road marathon or, or other kinds of events. This was much more about getting around the course and, and with the significant climbing and descent that we had, it was kind of helpful for that. So that, that worked particularly well. Um, the Sunto connects through a, a, an app, a Moves Count, which you can either connect direct to your computer or through the app that that works on the the mobile device and so straight after the event I was able to just turn on my phone uh, sync it and have a look at all the data and the little movie that it generates and that worked particularly well I was very impressed with that and it was a great way to show to people afterwards the the event and that sort of thing so uh, borrowed as we said the uh, Phoenix 2 and uh, 
recorded as two separate marathons. So mm. I got the data there, and so it was good to, to compare and, and contrast. So both recorded well. Um, you had a bit of difficulty, I think it's fair to say, with the red light that the Phoenix 2 yes. gives, a bit hard to display. Yeah, I'm not the strongest of eyesight uh, anyway, but I found that the red light, which it generates, was really made, well, for me, quite blurry to try and read the numbers. Even though they were big enough, I just found that the red light diffused and uh, it was really difficult to read the numbers. I was almost better. And I and I hadn't, because I was borrowing this watch, I wasn't quite sure on the options of turning off the light and then just being able to use my head torch. So every time I pushed any number, it flashed red as I changed yep. through the functions and I wasn't quite sure how to turn that off. But that could be done, potentially. But... Uh, I did. I did struggle with that red light. It seems to be quite unique to this watch yep. too. So, in terms then of the connection, I made the, made the point or the mention that uh, with the Asunto, it worked particularly well in terms of connecting via the app. And every time I've connected it via the computer, it's worked really well. So, from a, in terms of uploading your data and being able to look at that, works particularly well. Can't say the same for Garmin. Had a lot of trouble every time I try to sync the Garmin with Garmin Connect. Um, doesn't work smoothly so I'm going to try that on some different computers before I draw too much of a conclusion but certainly in terms of the syncing and the the usefulness of the data quickly the at this point the Sunto is miles ahead of, of what's happening with Garmin the other thing which I think I find particularly interesting is have now integrated um, both of our accounts from um, Sunto or Garmin onto Strava and finding that the interface in Strava is a, is a really wonderful way of um, seeing the data, understanding it, and sort of keeping the patterns and the scoreboard, the year-to-date type stuff. It seems to to be really well, um, really well done, and, and a lot of good value. And I've been looking or wondering for some time this whole notion of where you where is the place where you can post all your workouts that's kind of is appropriate and I'm often it doesn't work for me on Facebook because most of us have friends that are runners and friends that are not runners and and so often if you're posting all your workouts into say a Facebook type scenario for some people who like that that's great but for everybody else not, not so much but Strava is like the purpose of the whole thing is that's where all your your workouts get posted. It's kind of like, yeah, this is a this is a ballroom dancing place. So don't come in if you're not into ballroom dancing. This is the place where everyone posts their workouts. So it's the only reason for being here, in essence, is that sort of a community. So it kind of works really nicely. That's I, I kind of like that bit. You're not risking non-running type people seeing the data. So I really like not just the fact that it's um, a good way to read the data and to make sense of it and keeps up to date with what you've achieved this week, this month, etc. But also that it's kind of is the appropriate place to you know, post without fear or favour uh, what you've been doing because you're not running the risk of people getting, you know, here we go, you're posting running stuff. I don't, I'm sick of seeing that sort of stuff. It's, it's highly appropriate. The last thing I'll, I'll then say on Strava, and I think it's, again, as a bit of a lesson or an insight, it's been around for a while. Those people who use it love it. It's often... And it has been represented to me in the past as being a place where you can race against other people and compare your times with everybody else. 
and that's kind of a nice thing if you're into that. But for the rest of us who are going to like, well, hey, good on you. I hope you do well, but I'm not really interested that much in comparing myself with yourself because I'm on my own journey. I've got my own challenges. I think that that's probably given Strava a bit of a bad rap amongst lots of other people because it's so much more than that. That's one of the features, but you hardly even notice that if you're not looking for that. Right. So it's if you've been put off, the point, point I'm trying to make is if you've been put off by using Strava because you think it's all about comparing your times and you're just getting started and, and whatever else, That's you can you can find that sort of thing. It'll sort of say, oh, well, um, you're, you've run the fastest time today or the third fastest time on this piece of road. Um, you can find that if you want it. But you don't even need to look at that sort of stuff. There's much, much more to it than that if you're wanting to do that. So that was a, a good thing. The other thing that stood out for me was I went for a recovery run 24 hours after the New Year's Eve back-to-back marathons and the first kilometre, my heart rate was like in the 180s, just skyrocketed uh, mm-hmm. and it was at that point of, whoa, what the hell's going on here? I'm, this is, I'm in a bad way. I'm, in a, I'm, you know, I'm usually running a long, easy run, 118, maybe 120, that sort of pace. So I'm, I'm up in the 180s. This is like... I'm doing 400 meter sprints or something, and uh, just over the kilometre, it dropped back, and by two kilometres, it was back to normal sort of pace. So it was again a bit of an insight into how the heart rate can give us an indication as to what our body's doing and where we're at. And so, and if I'd gone for another kilometre and it had still been up in the 180s, I would have known time, not to, ready to, run. time yeah. to, to walk home, and um, I've gone out too early. Um, the fact that I'd settled uh, and I had a nice run from that point on, you know, not not pushing too much, but that, I thought that was a nice insight from using using the watch. A um, couple other things, just quickly, the uh, Sunto route planner, where you chart the course, upload it to your watch. The software for doing that within their Sunto site, not very good, didn't like it, not 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 useful at all I didn't find um, I much and <laughs> worked out quite easily how to it, design my course in map my run and then move it across that worked really nicely so okay. I don't think I'll be using the Sunto route planner to actually map out the course I'll use it to connect it to my watch and do that that aspect of it the notion of following running a route following a course which is something we're really interested in for trail events uh, I've worked out how to do that. I haven't worked out how to make the watch or get the watch. I think it can do it, but to tell me when I'm off course. So I need to do some more work on that. Uh, I noted with interest overnight that um, DC Rainmaker has published the initial review of the Phoenix 3. Yes. Which uh, apparently has pretty much all of the functions and features of the 920 XT for people looking at that one. Um, but within the the Phoenix family and all that, those aspects. So a couple of questions which remain, I suppose, is uh, I haven't been able to find out the, the weight of this new version because it, it, if it's similar or weight to the 920, then that will be a challenge there. And the other aspect is the charge on the run, which is a, a, a challenge with the 920. It doesn't do it. The Phoenix 2 does. Will the Phoenix 3 do that? So... Um, They've stocked out of the one we're trying to get for you, so maybe it's a shift, shift across to the Phoenix 3. So last but not least then, the uh, 
the the challenges that I'm, I'm facing for this week is how to how to um, follow the the route and get told when I'm off course. Um, getting that importing aspect smart. I'm still finding that the Sunto how to do this stuff is just very hard to find or, and to follow, and it really does assume that you know you already know a lot of stuff. It can tell you tell you how to do bits if you already know it. But the basics of getting to that point, I'm really struggling mm. with. And as I did mention, that Garmin connectivity issue needs to work out. But anyway, lots of learning, lots of fun, and um, you know, just in conversations with people already, you know, a couple of people saying, like, oh, you know, which one should I get and whatever else. And so uh, I know that a little bit of knowledge is dangerous, but I have a much better picture. The last thing I have done this week, which has worked really well, is is I've been able to find find that um, by integrating from my Sunto to Strava, Strava goes into my fitness pal, so my activities are now showing up in my overall program, which is making it easier and more accurate in terms of matching up my my food input with my calorie burns. One other thing I did notice when you were talking about the announcement or the review of the Phoenix 3, there was a lot of social media feedback about, oh, but they only just released the uh, Phoenix 2 in March 2014 and how quickly do we change over our GPS watches and is it the expectation that it's going to be about 12 months and this is a little bit too quick um, that people aren't ready for an upgrade yet um, or was it you know a move from Garmin's point of view that geez they, we, we found a fault that we need to try and rectify with the 920 so let's bring out the new watch to try and keep pace with the market and it's something that consumers just I suppose need to be aware of that there's always going to be a newer model come up on the market and you either jump with the crowd or you just wait and see how it goes yeah I mean it's it's the classic business scenario for well I was gonna say technology companies it's more so for technology companies but it's been around forever and a day with cars and things so the technology companies will have years of improvements in the bank ready to go but if they jump ahead to what's the latest and greatest now then they're missing out on years of sales and years of improvement so for the business case to put out the latest and greatest um, it, it doesn't stack up so this notion of incremental improvements as people go oh that's a better one I've got to buy a new one uh, that's how they make their money and that's so that's that side of the coin it clearly is a, a challenge and it's always been with, with computers that as soon as you buy one or cars, you know, as soon as you buy one, there's the next one comes out. So I think for most people, I, I put the, put it to you this way, does the watch you have work well? Is it doing the job that you bought it for? And if so, then don't stress about the fact that there's a, a new thing coming out. Part of the reason that we haven't gone to GPS watches before is because of my beef with them about the way they've treated battery life and it's almost part of their business model is we'll keep the battery life short so we can keep slowly eking out the improvements so people will have to keep buying more and more watches well you, know, you can put out a, a an eight-hour battery for people training for a marathon and they got used to being in essence treated like crap and having to recharge all the time well it's a dodgy product you know, and unless someone like apple comes in and you know richard branson and says well look, that's just ridiculous, we're just going to blow you out of the water and go straight to something different, then we're just going to have to live with this kind of incremental thing. Mm. Uh, but again, it is you can only buy the, the latest that's there, and it does raise this question as to 
as soon as the 920 came out for Garmin, did that, in essence, kill off the Phoenix 2? Mm-hmm. People go, oh, okay, it's got it's lighter, it's got all this extra stuff, why would I buy a Phoenix 2 anymore? I'm going to go to that. So they've got these kind of competing demands. So it does make a lot of sense for them to bring the Phoenix up to the kind of equivalent with the 920 and then potentially even add that extra little bit to it so that it can charge on the run and do some of those things that the ultra runners want to make it even more valuable so you wouldn't buy the 920 because it's they've got limitations on that you would buy the phoenix too because it's a better thing for your ultra running purpose anyway i'm sure we could talk technology yes. <laughs> ah. that was marketing <laughs> well, it was a bit of everything there um so on with the show you're listening to the partner running show with your hosts couple on the run sue and andrew o'brien proudly brought to you by partnerrunning.com and the Partner Runner magazine. Well, it's that time of the year where many people go to their New Year's resolutions, and in this case, we're specifically talking about running resolutions. Uh, We have identified 10 popular or common running resolutions, and for each one, we're going to go through and have a look at, well, why it's a, a good idea, why you might want to adopt that sort of a resolution, what are a couple of challenges you're going to face, and I think we've come up with five quick success tips for each one. So so first of all, Sue, before we go through them in detail one by one, let's just do the rundown. So what's one of the first first ones that people come up with? Oh, the first one that I think people come up with is, uh, I'm going to run more often. Okay, so it's about the frequency of yep. their running. Second one? I'm going to run to lose weight. Okay, so very much about weight. Um, next one? I'm going to set a PB. Okay, so going faster. Okay, number four. I'm going to run further. Okay, so it is it's about the distance and uh, and endurance. Number five. I am going to join a running group. Okay, so a big part of a community being a bit more social. Uh, number six. I'm going to do an overseas race. Or well, sometimes it could be in, in, interstate. In, interstate, but mm-hmm. it's, it's probably the, the international or the destination event. Uh, number seven. I am going to run my first and it could be 5K, 10K, half marathon, marathon, multi-day race, whatever it might be, doesn't matter. It's the the resolution of the new challenge. Okay, number eight on our 10 popular resolutions. I am going to follow a training program. Okay, yep. I've been at it for a while now, and I need a program to get, get more serious and improve, so it's the program. Uh, number nine. I'm going to get a coach. We hear that all the time. I can need to lift it up a level by going coaching. And last but not least, um, it's the perennial. I'm going to keep a diary. I'm going to record my running. So it's it's documenting. And particularly it's the one that I think a lot of us think we should be doing when we're not. And we kind of get a sense of, oh, well, you know, I'm, feeling, I'm not doing the right thing. I should be keeping a training diary, but it's you know it takes time, and I'm not sure how to start. So, documenting your running. So there are ten popular ones, and depending on mm. where you're at on your running journey, uh, some will be more relevant. So you know, if you have been at it for a few years and you haven't been following a program or getting coached or keeping a diary, then that, they may be more of your focus. Or if you're you're just getting into it, then you know running for a five k it'll lose some weight could be the go but for others well it is a case of well i'm going to go and do the big international race or i'm going to take on the extra distance um whatever it might be but so when we put it into the rest of our life this is the time of the year when a lot of us adopt our new running goals or in this case specifically our running 
resolutions. resolutions. Okay, so let's go to the first one. I'm going to run more often this this notion of the the frequency resolution. So why would we want to do this? So, well, I suppose the main one is to improve our fitness, um, just to get more physically fit. Uh, but also then you start to look at, well, is this going to improve my performance for my running as well? Uh, running is often a great mental health break. It gives us some of that time just to meditate, to think, to calm, all of that sort of thing. Um, I suppose also running with greater frequency allows us to think of participating in an event, knowing that we're going to make the distance. But also it's an opportunity to socialise with people if running is when you do socialise with others. So lots of good reasons to mm. run more. Um, and when we get to our actions, we're going to have a look at, at I suppose, for the two different levels. The person who's just running a little bit and getting started or running infrequently versus the person who's already running, say, four or five times a week, what this one might mean. So there's some challenges with all of these. And when it comes to running more often, then probably the first one is getting into the routine to enable that to happen. Uh, again, great intentions, but you know, often uh, these resolutions are made at holiday time, vacation time, at sort of reflection time. And then when back to work, back to university, kids back to school, whatever it might be uh, in your life, you start to get busy, they can fall by the wayside. So the challenge of routine is important. As you're up, you're, you're running. The potential of... Injury starts to increase yep. too, and you put put both of those kinds of things together with other priorities, and then this notion of being sustainable, um, sticking at it is important. And of course, once you get into winter or non-vacation period or other times of the year, then this notion of running regularly can become a little less attractive. It's, it sounds great when you're on vacation, but once it's in amongst everything else, it drops away. So there are some challenges to mm. overcome. Okay, so. Five things we can do to help us with running more frequently. So starting out, Sue? Well, every second day um, or at least, you know, keep a rest day now and then. Um, cross train if you're experienced, but try and keep that rest day. Often running every day is where a lot of people get into their frequency downfall. So the person who's running once or twice a week can lift that up nicely by running, say, four times a week. Every second day is, is a nice... Three or four times is a nice number. Uh, the person who's already running four times a week and who wants to do more, then you need to be careful because if you go to every day, then and it's not something we advise. There are people who streak as they're known as do run every day. But again, you've got to be careful, a little bit blessed with the right sort of body and a bit lucky somehow to get away with that. So for most people, running every single day is not the smart way to go. So if you are looking to boost it, maybe it's, running twice some days it is about keeping the rest days and and yeah, definitely and uh, maybe some more cross training to help okay next thing to do well establish a routine that, that is also sustainable this comes back to sustainability so getting into the habit of whether it's setting your alarm at a particular time whether it's you know all of those things we talked about when you are back at work putting your race gear in your, your run gear in your bag if it's going to be a lunchtime run but just getting into a routine that you can maintain over the year ahead uh, the third thing you can do is to keep the diary or record it and maybe publish it and you know, using something like Strava as a, as a, as a purpose-focused community 
around recording your running and sharing your running is a good way to go to, to maintain it. And it also helps you look easily at how much you've achieved. Uh, it keeps keeps your year-to-date, your week-to-date, all of that sort of material. It makes it really accessible. Mm-hmm. Good little app as well for your phone as well as the website. So that's a good way to go. Now, the other one would be to uh, find a group or a partner to run with, and this can help with your frequency because it will make you committed to at least one of those days of the week that is a definite training time with others. And again, to re-emphasise, the fifth thing you can do if you're looking to run more often is to maintain those recovery days, uh, avoiding injury, keeping yourself fresh. And and always remember that you're, in terms of trying to run more often this year, then your focus is on the year, not on the day or, or the week. And so sometimes in order to run more over the month, the quarter, six months the year i need to have a day or two off or if i'm injured or if i'm ill or if i'm busy then you know don't beat yourself up because you didn't run today in fact sometimes it's the best thing you can do is not to run today so that i can run more in the weeks and months ahead so there's a couple of things there on running more often second resolution i'm going to run to lose weight is one of my favorite ones uh the challenges well i think the first biggest challenge here is the recognition that Losing weight is predominantly about your diet, the food intake, as opposed to the exercise. So you often hear 20% exercise, 80% diet. Sometimes people say 30, 70. The, depending on which scientist, which research you draw on, your number will change. But the, 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 I think the accepted principle for most people is that the trick to weight loss is in what you eat more than your exercise. That said, running is a great way of boosting your output or your energy use to lose weight. So diet, first thing. Second thing? Well, again, to make sure it's sustainable, that it's not that you're going to go out and run 15, 20 Ks, huge distances, and that's going to be your way of losing weight. You put on weight over Christmas or whatever it is, and you're just going to go and run, 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 run. It's got to be something that is sustainable as, again, a yearly plan. And if that means just tiny little increments, then that's the way to go. So these next two are are similar to running more often, and that that ensures routine injury. Yeah. Just making sure that you're in those steady states. Now, I reckon the other the other big challenge here, along with diet, for this one uh, that's unique to this one, is this notion of your thinking or your mindset. And often, when people run more, they tend to put on weight, uh, and it's it's in part because you're using up more energy and you're feeling a bit more hungry and. If you're you're not eating the right things, then you want to eat some more. So that's one part of it. But the other part is is our mind says, hey, I'm doing all this exercise. I can now eat whatever I want. And and I mean, I always joke about the middle-aged men cyclists who go out for an easy or a gentle ride on a Saturday morning and then you see them in the coffee shops socking down the muffins and the big breakfasts and a couple of lattes. And it's like, hey, dude, you just burnt 300 calories and you took in 1,500 and you think you're doing this for weight loss. So we need to, again, balance that up and just because you're running more doesn't mean that you can eat whatever you like. You can from time to time have treats and you can do that, but you've got to get your overall diet Mm -hmm. right and more running does not mean, as a general principle, a lot more calories and particularly not a lot more 
yeah. chocolate and other treats. The actions you can take. Yep, well, look, um, you can look long-term and just focus on healthy eating. So rather than going into too drastic a sort of um, mindset of I'm going to starve myself and run and get weight off quickly to look at a sustained healthy eating, um, the type of foods you're eating, of course, as well as the quantities, and just look at a gradual sustainable weight loss and running balance. How often? Well, we think running every second day is a great way because it does give your muscles and your mental state a chance to regroup, reboot, reset for the next day. Now, a good way to focus on success for your uh, running and and weight loss is to look at and spend most of your effort on 5K and 10K type events, the shorter, sharper, faster events. Um, The challenge that... For, for many of us who go longer is as we go slower, we get more fatigue, we eat more, it's less effective. But the short, sharp stuff with some you know, good speed work, 100 metre, 200 metre, 400 metre kind of drills seems to have a significant boost to, to the weight loss. So suggestion is do the short, the 5 and the 10K type events until you've got your weight close to or at, at your goal and then look to go longer if that's your 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 choice. Um, next one, very important, I, I think is, is a great way to be successful is to to use something like MyFitnessPal uh, as a great way of understanding what you're eating and what you're exercising and so you can have a look at that net calories in, calories out. Now once again, like a lot of these golden rules, there's a bit more to it but it's a great place to start and a, and a simple one that you know Sue often says is calories in, calories out. If calories in is greater than calories out, then chances of losing weight is not good. Just because your calories out is under your is is better than your calories in doesn't mean you're going to lose a lot of weight, but at least puts you in the position where it becomes possible and you can start to say, well, if it's not happening, it's the composition of what you're eating as opposed to the net number. But as a starting point, you want to burn more than you more than you more than you you take in. Mm-hmm. And last but not least. Yeah, involving partner, family and friends to give you support. Interesting article recently suggested that getting validation from those close to you increases the probability of your weight loss. So Uh, making sure that you let them know that you're trying and uh, getting that little reward or comment from them can help you along your way. Now, we missed out on why this is effective with running to lose weight. So it's just some of the quickly some of the reasons of why running is is a great way to lose weight is that it's a really efficient and uh, effective energy use. You get a high number of calories burned for the time that you participate in. Uh, secondly, there is an afterburn effect that your metabolism stays higher for quite a long time after you finish your particular activity. Um, it also does increase your activity for other events and other sports that you're participating in. And of course, uh, getting fit through running allows us to participate in more activities or do more as we learn to do more with our running. My apologies there for jumping here and missing out on the why. Good pick up there, Susan. That's why you're the brains of the, of the show. <laughs> okay, our next two are, uh, I'm going to set a PB 
uh, I'm going to go faster and I'm going to go further. So the, the endurance side of it. And there's some similarities, but there's also some differences. So first of all, in terms of setting a PB, uh, I'm going, going to go faster. Why is this important? Well, goal achievement, um, focus and improvement, the satisfaction, uh, the notion of being your best. Uh, and also, it might then enable other achievements, both from a, the sort of the confidence self-awareness you get from being successful here but also sometimes setting a pb uh, we ran ran with tanya on new year's eve and she was looking to do a pb in the half marathon to qualify to get into another race which she wanted to do so enable other achievements can be both running but also in the rest of your life so lots of good reasons to to go for the pb uh, some of the challenges? Yeah, well, you've got to really start to think about how you're training. So maybe making things a little bit different so that you can go faster. Uh, that might involve following a program, and this might be something new to you. But tempered with that comes the increased chance of injury if you're trying to go faster, putting your body under more stress. Setting a PB does require consideration for your event selection. So you really need to take note of the type of course, flat, fast, whatever suits you the best. But also then another challenge comes with the, the danger of overtraining, of your body not being able to manage those adaptations to the new intensity that you're working at. Okay, so some actions to help you achieve your running resolution of a PB and going faster. Uh, first of all, follow targeted that enables you to train to go faster. Uh, secondly, working with a coach or a mentor can really help you Select the right program, stick to it, and avoid getting off track, literally, and, and making some of the mistakes. Helps you with your motivation, lots of good reasons. There answers your questions, etc. cetera. Uh, third thing, Sue, you mentioned there in the challenges, selecting the right event. So if you're looking to run a PB, then yeah, potentially picking a hilly course or a windy course or an uphill course uh, is going to work against going as fast as you can so you want to be looking for something that's that's either flat downhill um, not overly susceptible to extreme heat and wind those kinds of get the conditions in your favor mm. rather than against it um, a key aspect of training to go faster is looking at the quality more than just the quantity so you've got to do those quality sessions to get your speed up and linked to that is the need to not just be injury free but to recover so that you can do those quality sessions at your best of your ability there's no great benefit in, in as a general sense going into those quality sessions when you're overly fatigued and unable to do the work as well as you could uh, and last but not least when it comes to the the pb aspect it's keep at it until successful um, you're trying to do a faster 5k or a 10k and you've got a certain race pick to do it um, and it's a hot day or you've didn't sleep well for three days before or you got something wrong with your diet and, you, and you, you just ate something that didn't agree, you can miss out. Well, big deal. It's a learning exercise along the way. Stick at it. You'll you'll get better. You'll learn from it from next time. And you know, what wasn't a PB today uh, was a good training hit out to enable you to hit the PB next time. And that applies for all distances. So that's that's a few aspects of going faster. It's a, it's a great and very popular one. Uh, the other one, which is a bit closely relinked, is this notion of going further. So, again, recapping, Sue, as to some of the why you would. Well, just that notion of achieving your goal, of setting a goal, um, giving you a focus, 
and a measurement of improvement within yourself, sense of satisfaction, um, trying to, to be your best, push through that pain barrier. Also, um, enabling other achievements, just participating in other things, taking you on to other avenues. And similarly to going faster, going further has some challenges and, and a number of them are the same. How to train, uh, which program to follow, how to avoid injury, which event to, is a good one to select to, to enable you to set you up for success. Um, this, they're, they're kind of the common ones. Now, the ones that are a little bit different uh, or uh, overtraining can apply to both, but seems to be a bit more common for people looking to go further. Uh, and linked to that is fatigue, as though you're mm. pushing out those long runs that it's you know very common to people say, oh, I'm so tired. Uh, you've got to you know let the body adapt. And so that is can become a real challenge. And then for, and again, I'm going to have a punt here. This is one of those examples of, you know, 72% of statistics are made up on the spot. But, but as a general principle, I reckon about half the people that we meet put on weight when they try to go longer it's it's you know it's a significant number um don't know the research to give you the exact number but a significant number of us will find that as we go longer and potentially slower we eat more because of the fatigue and we think we were able to and we actually get heavier yeah which counts against it so i that's think this challenge. is particularly true for beginners or people getting into ultra distance whether it's iron man or ultra marathons for the first few times too well for marathons where you know, i often come across it yeah so, the marathon okay. so some actions for going further first of all well set a goal and, and follow the pro follow a program don't just randomly willy-nilly head off but really follow a program okay second one uh, it's a great rule of thumb we often talk about it it's this notion of the the 10 rule not increasing your total mileage or kilometers per week by more than 10 percent from the week before um, it, it time and time again works in terms of when people break this rule it's when you see them getting injured and getting extra fatigue whereas if they sit around the 10% improvement up their training it seems to allow the body to adapt and it minimizes the risk of injury and, and excessive fatigue um, select events as part of your going further we often talk about milestones and a races and b races so if you if your ultimate goal is to get up for say a half marathon then use a 5 and a 10k event as milestones along the way if you're looking to you know do an ultra then maybe it's a half marathon or a marathon to build you up so mm. those events are good for checking your progress they're good for motivation and they're good for breaking down what can be a long period of training you know, four months six months, a year, to go from where you are to you know, marathon or 100K or something of that ilk. Yeah. Now, the next one is to get plenty of rest, and that does mean rest, not alternate training, sleep and recovery, just making sure you've absorbed the work before you move on to the next level. Um, and quite allied to that is eat healthy. Um, you're really trying to get your body in the best state and uh, you don't sort of use the don't I deserve an extra reward of that sort of special notion that uh, on a regular basis that I've had a big big run I need a special treat okay so the fifth uh, resolution we're going to talk about is this one of um, I'm going to join a running group and again people say oh you know every year I'm going to get into this and so if your resolution for this year is to get into a running group um couple of reasons why this is a great thing to do it's the whole social connection and for some people that's going to really add to your motivation it's going to add to your learning it's going to 
add to your enjoyment. It's just going to it's going to add a whole bunch of benefits, and then they can then translate into improved performance. And that might just be because you're running more often, because you're enjoying it, and you've got those motivation. Or it could be, you know, if, you, if you're in a, a group where there's a coach or a or a mentor, uh, some experienced runners, then you're going to get a lot of support, help, and ideas to to improve the quality of your your running. So um, it might challenge you, etc. So lots of great reasons to run, you know, with a group or at least with a with a partner. Some challenges? Yeah, also some of the getting started in the first place is just fronting up as a newbie, maybe not knowing anybody. Um, and allied to that is finding the right group that's going to suit your level of running, that they're not all elite superstars or complete newbies, um, but they're, they're running at the right pace, right distance for you. And another one that's an interesting one is returning to the group after you've been either away for a couple of weeks or injured for a couple of weeks or travelling to come back in and join in again. Um, you want to be able to feel comfortable doing that. Yep. And again, it's one of the the most common things we see is that people come for a while and they really enjoy it and they go on holidays or they have, have an illness or a work thing and then it's like, oh, I can't get back and everyone will have moved mm. on and I won't. You know, if it's the right group, then that's not going to be a problem. You know, the old days of the only place you could find a running group was down at the Aths, Aths, um, Athletics Club where everyone was a budding Olympian or thought they were. And uh, if you didn't fit in with exactly what they did, then there was no place for you. Those days are gone. There are social, semi-competitive, all sorts of groups out there. And the right group's going to well and truly welcome you back after you've missed a few weeks because people understand that's, that's life. Um, some actions to take. Well, first first one is just to ask your running friends. You know who who is involved with a group, who knows a group, whatever else. You now we've got some friends that run with four, five, six different groups. Park run is a, a thing for some people. Others, it's it's you know coaching groups. Others, it's squads. It's social groups. It's online groups. So ask your friends what's working, and, and of course that is this notion of then checking out online both the social media and the websites and and what what groups are about. And the next one would be to just go with a friend. If you do have a friend that's got a run group, go along. See if it suits you and all of that that goes with it. At least you know someone there. Uh, the fourth one is to start, I reckon you're going to start out by giving yourself two months. Uh, first couple of weeks can often be awkward, difficult. You're not sure if you like it. But then you reach a point where you kind of get to know people. You get to understand the routines. All of those first challenges get out of the way. And... Um, uh, it's people don't mean it, but often it's really difficult. But someone comes along for the first time, and then they don't come back. The next time someone comes along for the first time, some people just are a bit wary of how much to to support and welcome because this person might not come back. Once you've been for a few weeks, then those people that aren't as welcoming as they might have been seem to click over and go, oh, "This one's serious. I'm going to really get in and support them." So if you can stick at it for two months, you can really get across across the line uh, and the last one here is you know if at first it doesn't work out you don't succeed with the, the run group you try then try a different group you might have just despite your research and best efforts it just might not have been the group for you their, their focus their way of doing things their time of whatever it might be so give it another crack don't give up just on one that doesn't work out our next uh, our sixth Big one, Sue, is this notion of I'm going to do an overseas race. So why do it? Well, for the adventure and uh, something unique. Um, goal achievement, it gives you a focus for your training, um, takes you perhaps out of your comfort zone if you're travelling to a place you've never been to before. Uh, of course, the travel aspect 
is wonderful and the learning that comes from finding out about different cultures and different ways of doing things. And of course, it can be linked to a vacation or a holiday too, which is another nice way of traveling. It is a great reason to go to somewhere that you might not otherwise go and to see it in ways that you might not otherwise mm. get to see it. Some challenges of uh, the resolution of doing the overseas race. Well, how to organize it if you haven't done it before, you know, what's involved, you don't know about what you don't know. Um, with some of these international events, the big ones and, and the boutique ones, they can sell out a long time in advance. So it's not a case of, oh, I'm going to go run the New York Marathon next week. You might have to plan a year or two in advance uh, so to guarantee your entry. Uh, Travelling and running into in a new place you know, with maybe some jet lag and different foods can be difficult. Uh, some costs, extra yes. costs involved. And, and often you know, getting leave, and whether it be from work, from study or from family can can take a bit of organizing so there are some challenges very doable and very rewarding and so first thing to do to make this one successful is to plan in advance um, you know usually at least I reckon three to six months just to to get your your, your training and your your accommodation things but often it can be 12 months to two years in advance Mm. And if you're not an experienced traveller, consider going with a travel company that specialises in this type of event. You'll be taken care of. And uh, the other advantage there is often they do have spaces available later or closer to the event when mm. other, when other more, you know, just entering yourself is sold out. So that's a good way to go. Um, going with an experienced friend or at least using a mentor. So talking to you know, people who have travelled and run overseas is, is can let you into fast-tracking uh, understanding of all the problems and, and aspects that works doing your research you know about the different hotels about where to eat so when we're going to a you know, we're off to Hong Kong in a few weeks to run the 100k there you know we've been researching the sorts of restaurants we're going to eat our meals at before so when we get there, there's no surprises we you know we've got one or two options yep. sorted and our out. transport options etc all of that sort of you know, stuff. what's going to happen yeah. with local transport etc and um, if you can we suggest picking a memorable event you know it's your first one it's a big exciting thing it's the one you're going to potentially talk about in years to come so there are lots and lots of options lots of memorable events out there it's the one that's going to be attractive and exciting for you and it could be short travel distance or it could be a, a huge travel distance but lots of lots of uh, benefit in doing your overseas race okay um a, a popular one here number seven is you know i'm running my first and you know you fill in the gap 5k 10k half marathon marathon ultra multi-day race whatever it might be so a few reasons why we're going to take on this challenge of the new event well, it is just taking on the challenge, mm. the personal growth development that comes with that. It's improving your overall running, your you know, your outlook on life, your fitness, etc. It's setting the goal, and sometimes it can be you know, as part of a team or a partner initiative. You know, your friends or your workmates say, "Oh, let's do the Oxfam challenge," or "Let's do one of these um, trail things which involves a team." So that's a good reason to do it. Or it might be your partner says, "Hey, I want to go and do this event. Why don't you do it with me?" So lots of good reasons why. Some of the challenges? Yeah, look, some of the challenges, first of all, the unknown. You've never done this before. It's beyond what you're comfortable with. Um, and then secondly, um, you've got to stick, well, you've got to try and find, uh, you know, what uh, distances you're actually going to set for yourself, what's going to be uh, comfortable for you. It's how to train so that you're going somewhere where you've never been before. You might have to deal with injuries along the way because new to your body and then find out why this is happening and deal with those different issues that have happened for the first time maybe for you 
We mentioned fatigue as well. When you take on a new challenge, it's a challenge for your body. Uh, but also coming with that is uh, new learning about yourself and a growth in confidence, I think, as yeah. you do go through these I think, different steps. I think the, the learning and the getting comfortable with not knowing all the answers and finding them out as you go is one of the biggest mm. benefits, but also the biggest challenges of, of this one. Uh, now, five steps or five actions you can take to help you with your running your first. First of all, finding out a mentor and or coach. Second, following a program, giving yourself time. If you're going up in distance, then you can't just flick the switch. You, you need to give yourself. And most up most up in distances are going to take you, you know, 10 to 16 weeks to train for, depending where you're coming from. So if you're going from, you know, zero or 5K up to 10, then give yourself 10 weeks. If you're going from a 10 up to a half marathon or a marathon, then 12 to 16 weeks. And if you're going for an ultra, well, it depends where your, your base is. You might take a year or, or longer to get from a 5K up, up to that sort of thing. Uh, practice in training. So, you know, the clothes, the food, the systems you're going to use, the hydration, the, what you're going to drink, etc. Um, keep focused and keep asking questions. You're going to be learning as you go. And, you know, the old saying about the teacher emerges when the student is ready. Uh, we can sit down, a good coach can sit down and tell you all the things that you're going to experience in your training for your first marathon. But until that fatigue hits after you've done your long run, you're just not going to take it in and, and it's not going to make quite the same sense. So ask the questions as they arise and you know, people will be ready then with the answers. And often for a first uh, time you're stepping up in distance, the big focus is on running to finish. Uh, particularly if you're doing your first half marathon or marathon, then it's like your body's adapting in a big way, it's learning and plenty of time to go back in your second, third and beyond and go much faster. First time is just get the experience get it done, get it under your belt. Number eight um, on our new running resolutions is I'm going to follow a training program. So why well, a program? Well, look, to, to succeed, um, to improve rather than just training randomly, um, to enable that achievement and to be your best, to really bring out something special out of yourself. It does help you learn about what you need to do and develop as a runner just to find out some stuff. So the challenges uh, in the following a program was, well, first of all, which program? Uh, yep. Where to start? And often that, that's enough to stop people getting into it. I'm just not sure there's so much out there. Um, sticking to to the program, again, it's just the discipline of you know, taking 10, 12 weeks, etc. Um, with so much material available online and so many running experts as we uh, say that in inverted commas as we come across people will always be giving you different ideas and different ways of doing things and so not uh, reacting to all of those what about this and what about that these are different idea type things through a program is, is a real hard thing to do because what that then leads to is this notion of the mixed up recipe um, a program is a system designed to take you from one place to the next and work if you follow it but if you go for three or four weeks and then you stop with that program or you add something in and you're different, you're no longer on that program, you're on a different one. And you, in essence, in trying to get bits and pieces from everywhere, you end up with, with something that's not working. And, of course, injury is mm. a potential challenge of following the training program if, if, it's, if it's involved more work and doing things differently. The actions to be successful. Yeah, look for something that's really simple um, but is going to be successful for you. Um, 
Is the workload manageable for where you are today? No good getting something that's just extreme. Keep a diary to keep note of how you are coping with the training and what you're actually doing. Take early action if you do start to notice injury or concern and follow to the completion of the program and then evaluate it at the end. Don't jump ships mid course or jump horses mid race, etc. But try and stick to that program and evaluate it at the end. I think if you're just starting out to follow a program, this notion of simple but successful is crucial. Mm. Uh, again, one of my beefs is so a lot of so-called coaches who um, it's it's almost about them showing off. I know I've got the latest and greatest techniques, and I'm going to get you to all these different workouts, and everything's going to be you know push push and different different whatever else. Um, you only want to do that stuff if you're an experienced person following a training program. For most people getting into a program for the first time, steady, simple, consistent with growth and improvement over the period is going to get you there and get you to learn about following a program. Plenty of time later to work on individualized and and to you know, push the envelope. But early days, simple and sweet. Uh, Galloway is probably the greatest example of this. It's a great formula that gets you where you want to get to. Okay, our second last one, um, it's a bit similar to the program. It's one you often hear is that I'm going to get a running coach uh, as, as a challenge. So why would we do this? Well, fast tracks your access to knowledge and the knowledge that you gain. You don't have to do the research, just get the expert to help you. It helps with the focus, what to do, what not to do, what you've got to really focus on. Um, it enables you to succeed and improve. Um, this then you know, helps you with your success and enables your achievement, not just in your running, but in other things. It helps you be your best. And again, it's this notion of really can contribute to your learning and development. Some challenges? Well, where to find um, the coach that is going to be best for you and uh, the relationship that you're going to have with the coach is one of those challenges now. What sort of approach are you going to have with your coach? Um Allied to that is the compatibility, whether you get on, whether that's important, um, whether there's respect, whether it's friendship as well, how often you interact with your coach and whether it is an online way that you communicate or whether it's face-to-face catch-up. And of course, a lot of the, the big one for a lot of people is the cost of maintaining a coach throughout the entire length of your program if it's a long one. And of course, there are lots of different options mm. there that can be some, some super expensive to quite affordable. Um, actions to succeed in working with a running coach. Uh, first of all, asking other runners who's about, what are they like, how do they go about it, that can, that can really help. Secondly, clarifying your goals. Like in, in any relationship, unless you know what you're trying to achieve before you get into the relationship, your chances of success are, are quite diminished. So be clear about what, what you want to coach for and what you hope to achieve and see if they can help you do that. And that's part of this third step, which is agreeing on the relationship, how it's going to work, how they're going to achieve you, help you achieve your goals. You know, the thing to watch out for is, is it about your goals or is it about the coach's goals? So again, if, if there's a coach who's more worried about what they think you should do rather than what you want to do or what your goal is, then you're probably working with the wrong person. Um, setting a time to work together. You know, Don't commit forever. It's like we're going to do this for 12 weeks, 16 weeks, a program, and then we're going to review and evaluate before we decide to continue. So again, give yourself a finite period to then assess and go on. Now, last but not least on our running resolutions is 
we mentioned it, uh, I think, at the start of the show, but it's the one that we all think, a lot of us think we should be doing, uh, but but not not as many people do it as, as should. And it's been notable on the Partner Running Show over time that it's the Steve Monaghetti, you know, the, the, the best of the best, who is, uh, you know, what's the number one thing you do? It's the diary. And then from there it moves backwards to the rest of us are a bit slack about it. So it's a vital thing. It is something that's worth doing. And it's often is on people's lists of have been running for a while. As this year, I'm going to start with the diary. And so, why would we do it? Well, to improve, to keep a track record of uh, what you used to do, what you're doing now, and as you build up your running, it provides a great base for learning of what went wrong, what worked. Um, it gives you that whole idea of well, what you need to do to achieve your goals can help you avoid injury by tracking the build-up of different things. And it gives you a sense of achievement when you look at all that you've done over a week, a month, etc. Okay, the challenges, uh, of course, this can be the, the technology. And when I say technology, it's is it the old pen and paper? Is it uh, a file on your computer? Or is it using an app or a website or a, you know, a Sunto Garmin type system? So mm. the, the challenges of what, what to use challenge of making it an easy system you know if it's not easy to do then your chances are you're going to let it go by the wayside what to record you know too much information not enough information the wrong information so that's that's a difficult thing to work out sometimes and how best to use it um so one of the reasons that the keeping the diary falls apart is it's like well i'm just recording all this stuff but i'm not actually getting any benefit and i'm not using it so we need to to be good at making sense of it and using it because that then helps us Keep, keep at it. Things to do, the five tips, Sue, first of all. Well, just start simple. Maybe start with a pen and paper for a few months and just jot things down. That's a quick and easy way to do it. Um, ask other people what they do and get a little bit of research about some of the options open to you. You might consider um, using your watch, and we talk about GPS, um, using apps, that sort of thing, to connect your watch to your apps. It's already there for you. Make a few notes. Um, record your injuries, um, anything else, any other info that's pertinent to your running, and then link that information back to your run program. And I think that's the vital thing is to actually link your diary to your program to check how you monitored yourself. Excellent. And so there is our 10 popular common running resolutions with some reasons why they're important, some of the challenges to overcome and the actions you can take. Now, with uh, I think it's pretty fair to say with all of those, we have previous episodes of the Partner Running Show where each one of those has been a feature topic. So if one of those is your resolution for this year, then you know, through its iTunes or the Partner Running Show website, you can find the addition that might help you. If you have trouble finding it, uh, just drop us a message at Facebook or email us at uh, info at partnerrunning.com, um, Twitter, whatever it might be, and we can um, point you direction, give you the link to the detailed episode, which which goes into the detail of the, your running resolution. So good luck with those. Last but not least, Sue, I think when it comes to running resolution, it's that old notion of, uh, well, if you get off the, the wagon or if you fall, if you stop doing it if it's not working then so what just pick it up start again so you know it's the old thing of uh doesn't matter how many times you don't make it you always remember the times you do so uh you're not going to be the first person to have not achieved a running resolution as quickly or as soon as you like but 
if you stick at it and get back to it when you had a bit of a, a downside, then you will be successful. You're listening to The Partner Running Show with your hosts, Couple on the Run, Sue and Andrew O'Brien. Proudly brought to you by PartnerRunning.com and The Partner Runner Magazine. The Road Ahead. Join us as we take a quick peek at a few of next weekend's running events. Not that much on, but some big races. Um, Tiberius Marathon in Israel, Mississippi Blues in the US, First Light in Alabama, Cebu City in the Philippines, Crystal Springs Trail in California, Ibuski in Japan, the Kevalawa in Germany, Ragusa in Sicily, Yoma Yangon in Myanmar, uh, Running from an Angel in Boulder, Yum Yaya, Zoom Yaya in Indoor Marathon, and uh, of course, big one, Walt Disney World in Florida, one of our favourites, and also closer to home, the Cadbury Marathon in Hobart. And of course, not a marathon, but we are heading down to Two Bays Trail Run on the weekend down around the beautiful um, Cape Shank, Dramana area for a 56-kilometre event, or some other people are doing a 28-kilometre event. Well, thanks for tuning in to our first partnering show for 2015. Uh, have a great week, have a great year, and uh, best of luck for your running, whatever you may do. Thanks, Sue. We'll see you next week. <laughs>